0: You know, I don't think the amount of support and help that you get and response that we've had as a family and the foundation really just happens to anyone. It's it's a, a lot of it is a big testament to how much of a good person she she really was.
1: This is Life on the Land, a Grazy Her podcast telling stories of women living in rural, regional, and remote Australia. Hi, I'm Sky Manson, your host for this episode. Tori Finane was a midwife, one of the best, they say. As a person, she was infectious, drawing people into her metaphorical embrace. Through her work, delivering babies, she did touch the lives of so many mothers in huge ways – but this story is utterly heartbreaking because Tori died. She tragically lost her life just days after giving birth to her third child when she contracted bacterial meningitis. But even though she's not physically here, this embrace and this touch that I mentioned lives on. It's something that her friends and family, especially her husband Liam Fernane, actively keep alive through the Tori Fanane Foundation for Women and Babies, which was set up in her memory just over a year ago. And so today, for the first time on Life on the Land, we're speaking with a male, Liam Finane, Tori's husband. It is such a brave conversation, but I was lucky enough to speak with Liam just a few weeks after the Foundation's inaugural flagship fundraiser, the Tory Fernane Ball, went off with a massive bang in Orange in New South Wales.
0: Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, we we were pretty confident we were going to put a good show on. Um, it was something that we were fairly firm on from the outset. We just wanted to, to create an amazing event. So regardless of what the cause was, people would come and have a good time and and you know want to come back again i guess um but i think we achieved that everyone everyone that was there had an amazing time including us it was yeah i, I think people were surprised at what we managed to put in put on given that we we're effectively just in in um a paddock in our friends place in orange but it uh, all came together really well um so it was an awesome night you know we had a great MC, awesome band, good food, all that sort of stuff. And most importantly, good company who are who keen to get around the foundation and the cause and um, spend a bit of money. So, yeah, it was amazing.
1: How much did you hope to raise on the night and how much did you raise?
0: Um, we didn't have, it sounds funny, but we didn't have a firm sort of target in mind, I guess, just because we were, it's the first one we've done and we're unsure. I thought we would probably raise... I was confident that we could raise about 250 grand and in the end, we're still sort of doing the wrap up of the final numbers because there's been a few sort of donations trip in on the back of it. But we definitely did raise 565,000, probably a little bit more. So again, for a ball with 340 odd people in Orange, um, you know, and the majority of those are friends or a, a connection sort of thing. Um, we're pretty, we we're pretty blown away by the result. Um, yeah, people's generosity was yeah, unbelievable. So it was, yeah, it, it, we couldn't have been happier. It exceeded least, all our
1: expectations. That number is so amazing. Half more than half a million dollars from, as you say, you know, a ball in a paddock yeah. in in Orange this is so awesome. It goes to show the power of um, mobilising a network in a really positive way.
0: Yep for sure and I think you know our friends are always going to get behind this because they're new Tory and they know me and they know how much we care about what we're trying to do but the the cause has definitely resonated with the broader community people in Orange people from you know other regional towns as well and also people in the city so um, it seems to have struck a chord with people I think we've got you know we, we've got that part right and people are keen to get behind it and now we just need to focus on you know how we're going to maximize you know get the most out of the money that, that, that we have raised and and make a big difference in what we're trying to do
1: yeah how was the night for you
0: um yeah it was good I actually I sort of relaxed into it once people started arriving it was a bit of a hectic week as you can imagine a bit. get everything organized getting everything organized but um once people sort of started getting there, and we had a couple of drinks and started chatting to people, I, I felt good and I was glad that it was finally there. It was a bit surreal, like it's been, you know, eight months in the making or something like that. So to see people there and all dressed up and and um, you know, Tori to really loved the party um, more than anyone else. So it was a bit bit of sweet, sad not having her there. And uh, look, to be honest, obviously I rather, I'd rather that we weren't all there, but. Um, you know, it, it was a positive to come out of all the, all the tragedy that's happened, I guess. So, yeah, it was good to get everyone together and and be positive about moving forward and what we're trying to do. Mm.
1: And as the sort of auction items came up and, um, you know, the, the money that was being raised just kept climbing and climbing and climbing, like how, how does that feel? Oh, I feel...
0: Amazing, yeah. I was standing there with Jeff, that's Tori's brother, um, and and Prue, one of our friends. And, yeah, it kind of felt like I was watching my house getting sold for way more than it should. Sort of. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, look, we did have some good live auction items. We probably had half a dozen or six or seven live auction items, which were, which were pretty, pretty significant, um, one of which was a golf trip to you know, some super exclusive golf course in New Zealand that went for seventy thousand or seventy one thousand dollars, which was mind blowing. Um, but yeah, it made us feel feel really good. And look, people know that they're paying more than what these things are worth, but they're happy to do it. That they know that it's good cause. And as I said before, it was just incredible people's generosity and and willingness to get around what we're trying to do was was yeah really amazing.
1: That um golf trip I saw a clip of it on Facebook I think and I just sort of wonder what it's like for the auctioneer when they are lucky enough to be auctioning off an item that just keeps going for more and more and more and more like and also when where in proceedings was that item was it at the beginning or the very end and how did it feel for you and how did it make kind of the rest of the night
0: yeah, no, it um we put that at the end just because we thought that that would go for the most. Okay. Um and yeah, for, for us it felt it felt amazing. Like it felt like we'd all one lotto, we're all high fiving. The room was as you said, you saw I think you might have seen Huey Ranger was the auctioneer. He's from your way, you might know him. Yeah. Um, he, yep. he he was he was pumped and the whole room the whole room was pumped. Everyone was cheering and standing up and high fiving. It was yeah it was it was pretty it was a pretty awesome, awesome feeling in there.
1: yeah, and also I think it's something it says something for the ball as well. If I can feel that excited about what I see on a film taken of the event and not even being there in the in the room, then that's like some good energy right there.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah now the energy the energy was um, definitely very high in the room everyone was yeah everyone was so positive and and pumped and just in in good spirits I guess um yeah it was it was really good to see
1: so $565,000 what does that mean for the for the foundation and I actually think could you explain the foundation just by way of um letting people know who who may not have heard of it before
0: yeah, sure. So we set up this foundation. It's called the Tori Funnan Foundation for Women and Babies. Um, Tori was a midwife who had spent, I think, about ten years of her career in Sydney hospitals before coming with to Orange in two thousand and eighteen. Um, Tori grew up in Delegate, Southern New South Wales, on a farm, and was we were just sort of always keen to get out of Sydney, which we did in two thousand and eighteen with two young kids at the time. Um, but yeah, after Tori passed away, after Maisie was born, we, we just wanted to look at doing something. The, the idea sort of sprouted from looking to do something every year to, to remember Tori and honour her and get everyone together, but in a meaningful way that you know we could sort of perpetuate. Um, and that's from talking to various people, we, we ended up setting up a foundation with the aim of improving regional maternity services. Um, we we ended up um, settling on that cause off the back of talking to Tori's colleagues and superiors about you know what she was like at work and all that sort of stuff and the sort of the feedback that we kept on getting was that Tori's experience and knowledge that she brought from working in a big tertiary hospital in Sydney for so many years was awesome in a regional maternity unit and. She was really good at teaching and mentoring young midwives and nurses and young doctors in a really practical sense way. So we wanted to sort of start exploring ways of how we could provide unique you know, professional development opportunities for delivery ward midwives and also special care nursery staff so that they can better their skills and, and implement them in a, in a regional setting and ultimately improve those wards and, you know, make the communities better off for it.
1: And so what will you be able to do with the money alone that's been raised from the ball?
0: As a starting point, look, the idea at the moment is, we're, look, we're fairly flexible in what we can do with it. We're starting with Orange because that's where we are. So what we're doing straight off the bat is we've we, we put out an expression of interest to all of the staff at Orange Health Service. Um, we've awarded the first placement to a midwife called Nicole Wharton She'll go down to Royal Hospital for Women in Randwick for four weeks and do a four-week placement and cover off on a certain set of learning objectives and get to see and experience and do things that she just wouldn't get to do in Orange. Um, so that, that's where the money will be spent firstly. Obviously, that's not going to cost us 565 grand. We're just looking at other things at the moment in terms of how we can expand on that, you know, whether we roll it out to other regional hospitals, which we will. Um, As I said, Orange is just a starting point. Um, And also just looking at short courses that we could potentially do, which might make it a bit more, uh, a bit easier logistically for nurses and midwives that have kids and families at home and can't go away for four weeks at a time. Um, We've partnered up, as you may or may not be aware, with Royal Hospital for Women in Randwick and also Royal Prince Alfred Hospital in Camperdown, which is where Tori spent the bulk of her career, Look, it's encouraging that those guys are on board. They they really feel an obligation to help the regional hospitals in any way that they can. So we've got the support there, and we've put some ideas to them. We just need to sort of nut out the details of how we can, uh, you know, make best use to best use of the foundation's money, and um, and really make a difference.
1: It's so wonderful to hear, like, actually that it is a work in progress because I think it makes it, it's just very inspiring that if you have an idea and you listen to others and you are confident and determined that you can realise some really big impact, which is what you're doing already. Um, so is the idea generally that um, you'll upskill um Midwives in regional areas, or is it also that you will be able to create more services within hospitals in regional areas?
0: Um, initially, it's definitely the upskilling of midwives and nurses. Um, however, uh, the, the second part of the question, something that Jeff and I were discussing earlier in the week, and something we're definitely interested in. Um, you know, creating additional services or bringing services back. I, I haven't verified this information um, yet, but someone was telling me earlier in the week that Cooma, for example, that they're, they're potentially closing the maternity there, which seems mad to me. Um, like my mum grew up in Nimmitabel, Tory was from Delegate. Kerma would be your biggest, your, your biggest, or your closest decent, decent-sized centre. Mm. Um, you know, so Jeff and I were just saying how good it would be if we could get enough money and enough support and backing to to keep those services open. Um so look, that's something we're definitely came to look at. But Mm. yeah, we we just need to sort of (laughs) sort of start somewhere and and um see how things progress.
1: Yeah. It's um and I suppose one question I wanted to ask was I think for example in Orange, in the special care nursery, um all my children were born in Orange and, um, and we were lucky enough not to have any um, need for the special care nursery. But is, it's my understanding that sometimes children need to be flown to Sydney because there are not people with the skills to be able to man certain machines or whatever in the special care nursery. Um, and will, is that right? And will this, um, this kind of training go some way to, be, to allow people not to have to travel when they've got a newborn baby?
0: Yeah, that's that's the idea. I mean, the special care nursery in Orange is a level three special care nursery, and just as a direct comparison, the special care nursery at Royal Women's is a level six, so they can do it, they can do any procedure you can you can think of basically on a newborn. Whereas in Orange, yeah, I think it's a combination of probably just the facilities they have. I think a lot of the doctors probably would have the skill and the training. Um, maybe your day-to-day nurses and midwives may not have the experience to deal with some of those things um, and, you know, not from any of their own fault just because of where they've worked, you know. Yep. So, yeah, the idea is to, to you know, upskill those, those departments and also, like, we've also got it in our scope to, to provide additional machinery. So if we can do that, but the combination of upskilling and providing additional equipment in those wards and, and bring them up to a higher level, then that that would be amazing. Yeah, because it's it's and it's one of the things that we've set out to achieve: reduce instances of newborn babies um, having to fly to Sydney and being separated from family and all that sort of stuff, or coming home earlier with a higher level of care being able to be provided regionally. Um, and I've experienced it myself we passed away, and Maisie was um, then flown to Sydney to Royal Women's for two weeks because they needed to they needed to put a PIC line in her, which so, which basically means that she can get antibiotics, you know, distributed closer to the sort of central arteries or, or whatever, and absorb quicker. Which, from what I my understanding is, it's not an overly complicated procedure. Um, but Orange just isn't set up to do that procedure on a three-day-old three-day-old baby. So, um, you know, we were sort of going through the worst of the worst. She had to be flown to Sydney and away from us um, to, to, to have that done, which you know, isn't an ideal situation, even in, you know, this, even if Tori still was here, it's not an ideal situation. So mm. with everything else that happened... Um, you can avoid situations like that going forward and hopefully no one else has to go through it in time, then that would be ideal.
1: Um, I do want to ask you more about your, um, your experience, but I do one question that I want to ask about the foundation um, before we get on to that is what's it been like dealing with um, these huge hospitals in Sydney and how receptive were they to your idea?
0: Um, no, the hospitals have been really good. To deal with, Um, they have been really encouraging and supportive of everything we put to them. We do have a couple of doctors on the committee, but Jeff and I, his brother again, and Caddy, Tori's sister, um, we're we're all directors. We're not we're not medical people, so we've sort of gone to these hospitals with the ideas, but don't know how it's going to work practically, logistically, etc. But They've all been really supportive and wanted to help us and, and see things get off the ground. So, no, we couldn't be happier with how they've sort of responded to it. And, you know, also at a tough time with everything that's going on with COVID, they've still managed to to, to push things along and get things in place. So it's been really encouraging in terms of how much I want to get behind us and, and see this get off the ground. And, and in terms of RPA as well, where Tory works, they actually reached out to us before we'd reached out to them and just said, you know, the head of the NICU there said that he he worked with Tori and he said that her loss devastated the hospital and they feel to they feel like they owe it to her to see that this, you know, gets some real traction and gets off the ground and makes a meaningful difference. So it was awesome that they came to us and wanted to help us. So hmm. um, we couldn't be more complimentary of yeah of their willingness to help us out.
1: So, Liam, tell me about Tori. What kind of a person was she?
0: Um, Tori was, yeah, she was awesome. She was a, a beautiful person. She had an infectious smile. She had a real love of life and a good time. She was always, she was a really positive person. Um, I think anyone that you, you meet, that knew her would say that. She always had a big smile on her face. It was evidently kind of her thing, which, you know, people, keep on saying when you when you run into them who you haven't seen for a while and yeah she was a great wife and a a great mother and she just yeah had that had 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 an effect on people that clearly rubbed off which I knew when she was here but I guess it's been really you know super evident now that she's not because she has impacted people in in such a big way and you know I, I don't think the amount of support and help that you get and response that we've had as a family and the foundation really just happens to anyone. It's it's a, a lot of it is a big testament to how much of a good person she she really was.
1: Mm. Of course, you would just want her to still be here, but by way of her passing, one of the beautiful things is, isn't it, that people do have this intensity of love and respect for the person that she was that may not have been realised had she still been here
0: yeah no I think so well I think you know it's the old well like obviously I knew knew what I had before it was gone but yeah yeah, I guess I guess yeah it is kind of a bit of that Tori really was she was an incredibly generous person um it's an easy thing to say but she genuinely would do anything for for the people that she cared about and loved. She was always, you know, happy to go out of her way to to, to, to help, help a friend or family or, you know, even people that she didn't know. Um, and you hear that talking to patients of hers that I didn't even know and some of the stories that have come out of the woodwork because, you know, you, you, you don't, to the person having the baby it's a massive thing and when you run into people in the street who you don't know at school who tell you stories and how good she was and how compassionate she was etc it makes you realize you know how special she really was.
1: Mm. Oh, I've got a huge smile on my face She just does sound like the the most giving and amazing amazing person how did you guys meet?
0: um we met back at school actually uh we were both at boarding school in sydney and yeah we got together in year 10 i was 15 she was 16 and been together ever since
1: oh wow childhood sweethearts
0: <laughs> almost yeah. we went, went to uni together Tori's <laughs> family likes to give me a bit of a stick saying that i followed her around because we went to uni together and <laughs> yeah did everything for yeah
1: we have spoken a lot about about Tory, but what do you do, Liam? What's your, what do you do in Orange?
0: Um, I'm a finance broker, yeah, okay. so we finance commercial machinery and equipment.
1: Yes, I mean, it is focused on Tory, of course, but you're <laughs> such a big part of the story too, so it would be remiss of me not to ask you that. <laughs>
0: I don't, don't have a very exciting job. It's not as exciting as being a midwife. <laughs>
1: is dealing with life yes so can you run um just for people that might not know what what it's such an awfully tragic story of tori's but what actually did happen with
0: with her yeah so we went to hospital we tori went into labor at home we went to hospital she had amazing really really quick labor um and it was all it all went totally fine and i think we got to hospital at 10 to 1, like into delivery water, 10 to 1, and she was born at one fourteen. So that happened really quickly, and then we went home. actually went home that night because um, she was fine, third baby, no dramas, and, yeah, she was totally normal. We had baby was fine, Tori was fine. We just had dinner at home, had a champagne. Obviously, we were quite happy, and Tori's parents had the big kids, so we are just enjoying being at home with Maisie for our first night. Um,
1: that's amazing that you're able to do that.
0: Yeah. No, I know. But that's. And then the next day, the next morning, Tori sort of noticed that Maisie was breathing up a bit, I guess. Like her breathing was a little bit funny. And so she was a little bit concerned and was sending a few videos to a, a friend of ours who is a paed. And she just said, yeah, if, you, if you're not 100% sure, we'll just take her into hospital. So... We did that, um, and we were doing tests on Maisie at the special care nursery, just trying to work out what was going on, and they weren't sure what was going on. Ended up putting her on antibiotics in the special care nursery. We we just stayed as boarders on the ward that night. Yeah, Tori was totally fine. I was totally fine. We are obviously a bit upset and concerned for Maisie that she would be okay, and we went to bed happy and healthy. Everything was normal. Oh, look, I can't recall exactly what time it was, but maybe about 10, 10 30 or something like that. Tori started complaining of a headache, so which sort of progressively got worse. So she was sort of taking some panvol and bits and pieces. But, and the nurse on the wall was sort of asking her out of 10, what's your pain? And she wasn't saying, exactly, you know, when, when you put it in comparison to having mm. just given birth, like she, she probably mm. wasn't thinking it was that bad of a headache. Anyway, it progressively, just was getting worse and worse. Um and then but yeah, the the the, the nurses weren't in the room. Like she just took and try and go to sleep and then she stir 20 minutes later and go, oh, like geez my headache's quite bad. You know, don't know what's going on. And then um yeah it got to a point. Yeah, said to me she was like oh I've a worse headache and then she sort of lost she couldn't talk properly, basically. So oh. she was, she sort of was just speaking gibberish a bit, and then I obviously ran out and got the nurses, and they hit the whatever the button is. I can't remember what it's called, but all the oh. um, I think it's the MET team, or I, I can't can't remember the term. But all the all the doctors ran into the room and were, you know, shining lights in her face and trying to work out what was going on. So yeah, that's. Like that's, that's basically what happened. And then from there, she, she, you know, had lumbar punctures and tests and scans and all that sort of stuff and went down to ICU while they were trying to work out what was going on with her. Um, but, yeah, effectively what had happened is the bug that Maisie had was the same bug that Tori had. Most likely, Tori probably gave it to Maisie somehow during the birth, but not, only you know, it's a bit of guesswork. You'll never really know. But um, with Tori, it got into a spinal fluid and then ultimately into caused bacterial meningitis and, and killed her, whereas with Maisie, it, well, with Maisie, they couldn't actually, they couldn't, the results were equivocal. They couldn't unequivocally say that she did or didn't have it in her spinal fluid, so that's why she was flown to Sydney and put on antibiotics through a peak line for two weeks just to make sure that they were covering all bases and, you know, she'd have the best chance and she was totally fine. So in a nutshell, that's what happened.
1: All right. Um, do you, at, at any point along, like it sounds like it did happen so quickly, were you given ND, any indication that you might lose her at, Um, and did you sort of have any kind of prior warning to be able to brace yourself?
0: Um, No, I didn't think I would lose her. Um, So the timing of things again, so that happened on the, that was the Sunday night and then so we were up all Sunday night doing this stuff and then Sunday and then Monday she was in ICU and then she ultimately passed away on it was just after midnight on Monday night, so it was, all, it was super quick. I mean, I didn't think I would lose her, but I guess the doctors in ICU had said to me, I think it was Monday afternoon, probably at about 4 o'clock or so, they said, look, just, just to let you know, things could get worse before they get better. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't intubated at that point, and I said, we might just do it just to, um, you know, so we don't have to, have to do it in an emergency if things do change sort of thing so I said okay and they, they did that um and even that night when I like I basically hadn't slept for nearly two days but that night when I went up to get some rest I think I probably left Tori at about nine thirty, and you know that they were telling me that she was stable um because she what well, she was she's stable so And get some rest because I'm not going to be any good to anyone if you, you know, if you can't, you don't have any energy or you get sick as well or something. So, um, I went upstairs and that, yeah, that said she stayed. And then I think I got a call maybe, I don't know, 45 minutes later saying, um, you need to come down here, she's really, really unwell. And, um, yeah, things had just blown up, and that was it, basically. (laughs) Yeah.
1: At least I suppose you um, got some time with her mm. before before the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah. As we said before, it was it's so even now just talking about it like it's so unbelievable. And I know if if this happened when Tori was on a shift, she would be destroyed by it and just mm. be like, I, I just cannot believe that something like this would happen. It was so so random. Um yeah, even now, yeah, it's 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 hard to sort of, you know, comprehend that that's, yep. that's how it all unfolded. And someone can be totally healthy and normal, go to sleep, and wake up, and have a headache, and then get meningitis and die. Yeah, it's crazy.
1: I bet all the medical staff were the same too.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think it got described by the lady who was the head of ICU who was on that night. Said it was up like putting out a. bushfire with a a hose uh, with a garden hose like it just it just took off and there was nothing literally nothing that they could do to 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 stop it so Mm. yeah everyone was obviously shocked and devastated and yeah but I think I don't know I I I think and whether this is just me saying it to sort of accept it and get on with things I guess but I, I don't I don't think it would have mattered where Tori was. I think we would have had the same outcome. Like she was getting really good care and treatment, and they mm. knew what was happening. They just said things just turned so quickly. I don't really see how they could have done anything differently, regardless of where she was. So, um, yeah.
1: Mm. And so, Liam, was anyone with you at this time, like you go to sort of step out of the hospital at some point and into this whole new world, um, not disregarding the fact that Maisie is still in, um, in, in the nursery, um, or did you sort of have to initially deliver the news to loved ones at the same
0: time? um no I called Tori's sister was at my house in orange with the kids so I called her and she came in um, like Tori hadn't hadn't passed away at this point but you know it was it, it was inevitable like it was it was happening you know so anyway she came in and she called Tori's parents and they came in my parents and brother came in as well and um, yeah one of our good friends who's a cardiologist was around so he, he was there to support us, um, I guess. But, yeah, so there were a few of us there with her and um, they let Maisie come down and be with her for a while whilst it all happened. So, yeah, we were all, there was a, there was a group of us there together um, at that time.
1: Um, and so afterwards, uh, I don't know, what happened? Where do you begin?
0: Um,
1: you're obviously shattered into a million pieces, but you have to keep going. So you have
0: a new Yeah, normal. exactly. Um, I think afterwards, yeah, I, I don't even know what time it was when we got home in the end. That night, tried to get a little bit of sleep, which I don't know if I did or not. And then, um, yeah, I mean, the next day and, in you know, in certain days we just had so many people um friends locally and friends from afar come to town and family to obviously see us and get around us and um, help us through, obviously. Like, I think we were all, obviously, I was in shock and I know we haven't met in person, but we have mutual friends. I'm someone who likes people being around me and I think that undoubtedly helps me. Like, when something something like this happens, like, it, and you know, I've always been a positive person, it sounds a bit grim, but you, you actually you don't feel like being alive. You just can't believe that this has happened. It's so unbelievable and shocking and and you don't know how you'll get on with things, but with the support of everyone, um, you know, they try and wrap their arms around you and pick you up and, and remind you that, you know, you've got three kids there that need you and that's what Tori would want. And that's and right, it is what she would want from you. And that's throughout the last 18 months been... Probably my two biggest strength those sources of encouragement have been just knowing that the kids need me, and knowing what Tori would say to me, and she would say, you know, this is obviously devastating. It's all right to be upset about it, but you know, to you know, to be there for the kids and get on with things and live your life. So. Um, you know, I obviously constantly remind myself of that, but I've got a lot of good people around us who, who remind me of that as well and can see when I'm a bit off or the kids are and, and help us, you know, pick ourselves up a bit.
1: Talk to me a little bit about the beautiful community that is around you now. And you just said that they can tell when you're a bit off. And um, is that right? Like, do you sort of have bad days and then without even having to say anything, kind of someone's there offering help and, or support in a different kind of way.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, look, there's a core cool group. Like, everyone's been amazing, but there are some people you probably see more than others and talk to about everything a bit more than others, I guess. And so, yeah, I, I think it's just part of living in a, a regional town. Like, whether you want to or not, you see people at school drop off, pick up coffee shop the pub bullies whatever and um you know which again i think is a good thing because people can check in on you and see how you're going but yeah there's there's probably you know there's a core group of people that you probably talk to a bit more than others and i think they can sort of pick up when you're not 100 percent and 18 months it sounds like a decent amount of time but at the same time it also feels like this all happened yesterday and mm. um you have your weeks and your days where you just feel horrendous and it kind of comes about for no particular reason like sometimes you just you just feel a bit shit and feel sad and and I don't know even going back to work has been a really good thing because I've been able to get my head buried into something else to focus on apart from just getting the kids through and myself through um, but at the same time I've definitely had my moments going can I juggle all of this and you know just sad about the fact that this is the new new reality but Unfortunately, it is what it is. So you just have to have to do your best and, and crack on with it. But I think, in particular, and I touched on this when I spoke at the ball, the like the women in our life um, have been amazing because, um, as you probably know, guys aren't the biggest talkers, and girls do sort of have a way. You know, I'm speaking generally here, but but some of the girls that I'm friends with, and Tori was friends with do have an ability to draw information out of you and get you talking and you know even if you don't really feel like it once you do get it out there you do feel a bit better Um, so yeah the women the women around us have been amazing particularly.
1: It's like I mean Tori is obviously irreplaceable for you but um, do you sometimes think of it as like especially for your children they have lots of mums now in your community and the fam the size of your family has almost grown as a result
0: no I do think that um, yeah nothing will ever ever replace her to me or the kids but I feel like the kids have picked up you know another half a dozen mums or so (laughs) (laughs) always always around to help out whatever it is um we're lucky in that regard I guess you know in, in in bad circumstances I guess certain people shine and we've, we're fortunate that we've got a lot of people around us to help us and yeah.
1: How um, are your kiddos going? Are they, and is Tori, you know, you should chat openly about Tori
0: all yep. the time. Yeah, definitely. No, and that's something even as far back as when it initially happened, I was very clear on the fact that I wanted everyone to continue talking about Tori to kids and to me because you know it's really important the kids were so young i think ollie will definitely remember Mum Elkie, who knows she was three and a half um she still does now obviously but i just think it's important for people to keep talking to the kids about her and what she was like and what she did and you know funny things that happened and just memories um and so we've done it the whole time and still are doing that but yeah the kids right now the kids are really good they're incredibly resilient and yeah you you get a fair bit of strength and encouragement from them because their ability to get on with things is is pretty amazing um Mm. and again that's that's also because we've had a lot of good people around us who are helping us who have helped us just continue with their 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 routines and their lives and all that sort of stuff but that they were devastated initially obviously um but as time has gone on they've been really good and they're in a good place at the moment that's great to hear.
1: Hey, I'd love to know when you started having conversations about setting up a foundation for Tori and how it all started to kind of take
0: form. Yeah. So um, after Tori passed away, Tori's sister, Caddy, lived with us for about five or six weeks again, which was amazing she just dropped everything and came and lived with us and make sure that we're okay um but yeah throughout that initial few months we obviously had a lot of family around and sitting around at home talking and having a few beers and different bits of faces and jeff and i were again tori's brother were sitting there and talking about um what we could do each year remember her and but in a meaningful way i think something i've seen in the past with you know, even close mates of mine who have passed away, uh, initially you might get together for the birthday, but then as life goes on, it's actually harder just to get everyone together. So we we started spitballing the idea of maybe doing a big dinner or lunch or something to raise money for some kind of meaningful cause, and things just snowballed from there. So. <laughs> That was as simple as it was initially and then we just started talking to to people involved in who had been involved in charities and foundations and people at the hospital and yeah we've had several meetings and conversations yeah over the next six months and to have the most meaningful impact and to to honor Tory in the in the biggest way possible going forward that, that we'd set up the foundation in its own right um i mean we we're warned by people that it's a lot of work and and not discouraging us to do it but just sort of preparing us for what was ahead of us. But we couldn't be happier with how things have started and, yeah, no regrets at all. We think it's, it's, it's really great and we've created something that we'll be able to go on in the years ahead.
1: Oh, it's just such a positive story. It's congratulations to all of you done. Um, it's very inspiring and and thanks for sharing the ins and outs of it. Um, Do you think one day you might be, like, would you like to work um, wholly and solely on the foundation?
0: Um, Oh, I don't know. It's We definitely need, whether it's me or someone else, we definitely need um, people employed, I think, in the foundation at the moment. (laughs) So at the moment, we've got a committee, there's 12 of us, five of us within that, the directors, um, and we're all just doing it on a volunteer basis and just doing it at night time and having committee meetings once a month sort of thing. So um, I think to take it to the next level, we will need, we will need someone focusing on it full time. time. Um, um, I think it could even be a case that we, you know, we sit back and, and we're on the board, so to speak, and employ someone else to run it and we're the drivers. Um, you know, uh, I'm not really sure how things will evolve, but that's sort of how I'm thinking at the moment.
1: It's very exciting and yeah. it's amazing, such a short space of time, how big you've been able to grow it. Yeah. Um, so for the everyday... Uh, punter everyday person um if they want to sort of donate or be involved is there a way
0: there is a way um if you simply want to donate there we have a website obviously which is just tory com dot au. tory spelled t-o-r-i-e um so if you look that up, you can go to Ways to Give and there's a donate page. So you can just do a one-off donation or a recurring donation. Through that same page, there's also a starter fundraiser link. So you can do, people can do individual fundraisers. We did one for our, you may have seen it, Sky, for our sons, but my son and two of my nephews um, did a walk up Mount Kosciuszko on Australia Day, and was yeah. twenty it was just over twenty five thousand dollars, which was pretty amazing. The boys were pretty pumped.
1: Far oh, out, right. that's huge. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So um, no, anyone can can do a fundraiser. There's been a few little ones that people have done, and there's one I know that there's some some um, ladies in Wagga who were doing one either in june or july who just approached us and to do something so yeah there's ways to get involved it's easy to do it through that or if you know if people need more involvement from us as the foundation they could certainly get in touch with us and we're, we're more than happy to help and do whatever we need to, to to drive their events and make them as successful as possible
1: and what about the ball is it all went off
0: no, definitely not. We'll do that next year for sure. Um, so we'll definitely, the idea is we'll have that as sort of the marquee event, so to speak. So we want to help have that in Orange every year. Um, but we are sort of in discussions about other other events that we might be able to do, you know, whether we do one in Sydney or whether we do one in other sort of regional towns. Um, Jeff, again, is in Wagga. So, It could make sense to have one down there as well, given um, that he's down there and he's starting to talk to the hospital down there as well and just the network of people. So, yeah, the Orange Ball will be ongoing year on year and we're just discussing other ideas.
1: Oh, well, Liam, I'm blown away by how candidly you've shared your story with us today and with just so much bravery. And it's kudos to you, I think, that you are so articulately sort of sharing what you're going through as you build the foundation and grieve tori at the same time so uh thank you so much and congratulations and best of luck with the foundation in the future i can't wait to see it grow and grow and grow
0: no worries thanks I appreciate your time it's um yeah it's good to talk about it all so appreciate you having us on
1: After I had this conversation, I sent a text to one of Liam's close friends remarking on how amazing he was. And she told me that he amazes those closest to him on most days. And I think you can understand why. And I would so agree, he is remarkably unflappable. And you can understand why so many people have also got behind the cause of the Tory Fernane Foundation. What he is doing is brave and brilliant and you just want to support it. So we feel pretty lucky to have been able to share their story in such a personal way on Life on the Lamb. So thank you, Liam. If you want to donate or host your own fundraiser, you can find the Tori Fernane Foundation online, toryfernanefoundation.com.au with Tori spelled T-O-R-I-E. You can also see all they're up to at Tori Finane on Facebook and at Tori Finane Foundation on Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back with you next week with another Life on the Land story.